Jonah Hill is championing male body positivity, drama in the podcasting world, how Tumblr has shaped cancel culture, and a very exciting announcement from us. We are Jasmine and Maggie, and you're listening to Culture Club, our weekly chat about pop culture, current affairs, the internet, and our lives. We acknowledge that the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people are the traditional custodians of the land upon which we live, work, and record this podcast. We would like to pay our respects to elders past, present, and emerging, always was, always will be, Aboriginal land. This is weird. Very weird. We are in the same room. We're face to face. We're like less than a meter apart. <gasps> Not social distancing. Shh. <laughs> yes, this is our first ever time recording a podcast together. It's so weird. We have so much eye contact going on. I don't know where to look. <laughs> Where's the screen? I need like I know. a barrier. <laughs> well, it's nice. We've seen each other a lot this week, actually. I know, like too much. <laughs> I need some distance from you now. I know. We did a photo shoot, a set, like a small one together. We went out for dinner for my birthday and we went out for brunch with one of our friends, Isabella. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so three times. Oh my God, and then this makes it four. Four times in a week. That's a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, considering before this, we barely saw each other and we recorded it in different states. We were, we've probably like seen each other four times in total over like a year. You know what I mean? Yeah. So this is a lot, but I like it. It's chill. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. nice. Yeah, so we'll see how like, this goes. Yeah, we all could feel like, hate it anyway um how was your birthday it was good so I turned 22 which is my favorite number and like yeah I'm someone who doesn't really love birthdays I don't hate them but I don't look forward to them but this one was actually really nice like um went to the beach went out for brunch made homemade pizza watched 27 dresses like very chill didn't do work that day which is like finally (laughs) revolutionary god I know um but yeah actually so nice Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's just so intense. (laughs) I feel like we're having like a counseling session or something. I feel like I might just cry at any time. Like it's so intense. Like I feel, oh God. But in exciting news that we can finally share with you guys, we will be presenting a live podcast recording at Melbourne Fashion Festival in a couple of weeks. Like how exciting is that? Us, little lowly podcast on the big stage, Melbourne Fashion Festival, you know, something that we've looked up to for so many years. I've been like a audience member. I volunteered for them, you know, for so many years. And now we're part of the program. I know. Um, So it's presented by Fashion Journal. We will be interrogating fashion greenwashing, how influencer culture plays a part in that. We'll also be joined by the incredible Christina, who's the owner of Melbourne-based ethical brand Rosa Rosa the Label. And it's on Friday, March 12th at 2 to 2.45 p.m. at the Lonsdale Street entrance of Emporium. So if you're not at your office job or uni or whatever and you feel like popping down to listen – that would be very nice. Please come because it might be awkward. We're just going to ambush like random passerbyers trying to get to their little shops and we'll just be <laughs> shouting in a microphone about greenwashing and like ethical fashion. But it will be really chill. So mm. please come along. It'll be chill. You can just hang at the back or whatever, but keep us company. It'll be really nice. Yeah, because we'll hi. just be sitting in a mall. Mm. It's like the mall series when like, you know, when artists would – do like their mall performance, like Britney Spears. Oh my god! Right, we we are Britney Spears. <laughs> we we're, we're Britney Spears. That's what you're trying to say, yeah? Basically, yes. That's so true. 
I saw 360 at like the shopping center. Do you know the, the, oh, the rapper? rapper. Mm-hmm. Mm. I thought that was cool. Or we're like Santa Claus. <laughs> oh, Santa Claus. <laughs> and in other exciting news, I feel so proud about this. The love of my life, Margaret Zhang, has been announced as Vogue China's new editor-in-chief. Huge. I didn't realize that she was only 27 until this week. I know. So that makes her the youngest Vogue editor-in-chief ever. Mm. And it's huge because she's the Sydney-born Chinese woman who started her fashion blog when she was 16. And now she is the editor-in-chief of Vogue China. Like, huge. She's the most ridiculous person. Like, she shouldn't exist. So <laughs> as in, I don't understand how someone can be so multifaceted, so successful and seemingly like so down to earth and just a great role model. I don't really like giving people that label, but she has been such a role model to me. So her blog Shine by Three, that was what it was originally called. And like I devoured it. She is so talented. She studied commerce and law at UTS while also working as a filmmaker, fashion consultant, writer, photographer, etc. Like the list literally goes on. I think she was um she's definitely one of the ultimate slashies. Like she does everything. Um she was also on that TV show Fashion Bloggers. Did you ever watch that? I didn't, but you've referenced it before. Yeah, I yeah. only watched it like this year, but it's a 2015, 2016 show mm. that follows a few Australian bloggers around and she was on it and she's just so charismatic and so smart. Like I saw her director shoot for like Swarovski. How do you say that? Swarovski? Swarovski. 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 Thank you. And she was directing the models. And she was also, so she was photographing it and being a model. And she was like talking Mandarin and English interchangeably. And she's just boss, like full on boss. What a huge win for like mm. Australian media women in general and mm. also like Australian born Chinese people. Yeah, ABCs, as we are cutely referred That's to sometimes. So um, but it's actually really interesting. A lot of people have been saying that this could be really good for like a soft diplomacy between China and Australia mm. who have tensions at the moment um interestingly though she's never edited a magazine she's been the creative director of one but she's never edited one which is quite interesting hey Mm. like the experience that we once needed probably it's all changed like you know she didn't study journalism or media she studied commerce and law yeah interesting so she's never done journalism no but she's a great writer like don't get me wrong but not traditionally trained in it Uh oh my god also speaking of traditionally trained she's a traditionally trained or whatever it's called ballerina and pianist (laughs) how has she had time to do all this it's amazing but yeah props to her super exciting also this week there was the wild news that actress emma watson is retiring but is she retiring after all so according to the daily mail Emma, known for her role, of course, as Hermione in Harry Potter, announced she's retiring from acting at the age of 30, although she didn't announce it. Mm-hmm. It was through a source, that aka said. her agent, mm-hmm. to the to the tabloid. Mm-hmm. So they said that Emma's acting career has gone dormant, saying that's movie speak for she's given up acting. And according to the tabloid, she's wanting to settle down with partner Leo. I saw some photos of them recently emerge and they are so cute. Like, I don't know who this Leo boy is, but like, they looked adorable together. Yeah. So they've been an item for about 18 months Mm -hmm. and Emma hasn't been active on her socials for six months. Mm -hmm. But then after this tabloid news came out about a day later, 
Her manager, Jason Weinberg, rebutted the claim, stating to Entertainment Weekly, Emma's social media accounts are dormant, but her career isn't. Hmm. So after all that, maybe she's not retiring from acting forever. But I did read an article saying that, you know, she kind of fell into acting at age nine when she was just picked out of a lineup for Mm. like the Hermione role. And she's never been to acting school. Her family never used to watch films or stuff. They're all academics. So that's why she wanted to go to Brown as well and do more studying. So I'm excited to see what she does next. Mm. Yeah. I think she'll always be in the public eye to some degree. She does such incredible work. She's an ambassador for Good On You, the Australian ethical directory guide that I'm obsessed with. It's like an app and a website and it rates brands. So she does a lot of work in the fashion realm as well. I mean, ambassador work. Um, And yeah, she went to Brown. I think she's a busy woman. I feel like she totally deserves a break. Mm. So if you had, if you were 30 and you had like a hundred million dollars, would you take a step back as well? Yes. Exactly. So this weekend, the Daily Mail, ill, sorry for referencing them twice today, they posted images of actor Jonah Hill, known for his roles in Superbad and 21 Jump Street. And in the photos, he was surfing and shirtless at a beach in Malibu. The headline read, and bear with me because it's complicated, (laughs) but Jonah Hill slips into his black wetsuit for surf day in Malibu before showing off his tattoos while going shirtless to towel himself off. That is a real headline that a real journalist wrote. So in a rebuttal to this Daily Mail tabloid where Jonah, you can see Jonah getting changed. He's surfing. He's in like a very tight wetsuit, obviously. Obviously, imagine a loose wetsuit. Exactly. (laughs) He actually posted the headline and the images on his Instagram with a caption that reads, I don't think I ever took my shirt off in a pool until I was in my mid-30s, even in front of family and friends. Probably would have happened sooner if my childhood insecurities weren't exacerbated by years of public mockery about my body by press and interviewers. So the idea that the media tries to play me by stalking me while surfing and printing photos like this and it can't phase me anymore is dope. I'm 37 and finally love and accept myself. This isn't a good for me post and it's definitely not a feel bad for me post. It's for the kids who don't take their shirt off at the pool. Have fun. You're wonderful and awesome and perfect. All my love. How heartwarming is that? So sweet. Such a sweet post. And we really do not hear much about body positivity in the male space. I feel like it's so lacking. So I'm so glad that this conversation is started by him. We even saw it at the Fenty show last year with Rihanna casting some plus size male models and on the website as well. And that was really beautiful to see some people's reactions on Twitter being like, wow, I feel seen. Like, this is so great. Yeah, it's true that it does kind of get put to the sidelines like obviously women are more affected by the media and by society's Mm. standards but it's nice to see a male celebrity Mm. standing up for that and just saying hey I've struggled with body images since I was young and you're great the way you are to Mm. like his younger audience I think that's awesome I do feel like even though I would agree that the media does like affect females more men are still subjugated to like a lot of very strict body norms in a way so Mm. I mean I know we like romanticize somebody's like dad bods and whatever and 
I can't think of anything else at the moment, mm. but things like I was listening to a podcast and the guys on it were discussing balding and how like they're still insecure about that or like height is also a factor. And these are things that are very natural and you can't really change. Um, so it is interesting that we don't talk about it as much, but again, I don't think it's like as harsh on men mm. as women. Exactly. Back to Jonah Hill in 2018, he told Ellen DeGeneres, I became famous in my late teens and then spent most of my young adult life listening to people say that I was fat and gross and unattractive. I really believe everyone has a snapshot of themselves from a time when they were young that they're ashamed of. So Jonah Hill's weight has been a topic of conversation over the last like 10, 15 years since he's been in the public eye, which is so wrong. Um, I remember when he lost a whole bunch of weight maybe a couple of years ago and it was like huge news and everyone was like, what's his fitness routine? And well, like he looks amazing. And it's still fluctuating as that just happens with some people. But um, outlets over the years have run headlines, including will weight loss make Jonah Hill less funny? And the problem with being a skinny Jonah Hill, which is saying basically that America has found him less funny since he's lost weight, which is so wrong. And that he was, quote, most lovable when he first became famous. I think it just plays into the stereotypes of, like, the chubby friend or the mm-hmm. sidekick or, like, whatever. Like, you can't be a a sex symbol or, like, a mm-hmm. main character. Like, the fact that he was up with Channing Tatum. Yeah. Like, and I wonder if, like, his size and the way he looked versus how Channing Tatum looks in, in 21 and 22 Jump Street, if that was a reason they cast him, Yeah, you know, yeah. that juxtaposition. Mm. Oh, yeah, this is actually making me so upset because it's so true, right? It's quite dehumanising. They're saying that it's almost like fat people fulfil like an entertainment role. Like it's they're there for like funny belly mm. or something, right? They're not, they can't be a standalone character by themselves. They have to be funny or they have to be endearing in some way. Because mm. you're right, you wouldn't see him in like Channing Tatum's role and what movie? <laughs> Yeah, 21. In 21 Jump Street. Sorry, I haven't seen it. I know. Oh, my God, it's so good. Isn't that the science one? It's where they're – it's based off the TV show 21 Jump Street, which is where Johnny Depp became famous. No idea about this. Never heard about this. In 21 Jump Street, Jonah and Channing are – they go into a high school undercover and they're trying to break down an undercover drug ring. That's what happens and it's all mayhem. So it's really, really funny. Mm. Would definitely recommend. Good, good movie. Um. But also what you were saying before reminded me of in Friends when Mm. Monica's character, obviously this is like a woman, but still Monica's character, it's known that she lost a bunch of weight before, you know, the season started and they keep like going back to her Mm. like in a fat suit as like her character arc and it's always like the butt of all the jokes. And I watched an episode last night of Friends and I was like, oh God, it's just so dated now to be talking like that. Mm It's so uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. So I think good for Jonah Hill. It's nice to see him pushing back and men in general pushing back against the paparazzi in Hollywood. Um, it would have been nice, not in Jonah Hill's case, but in general, like for men to stand up to like those body norms and paparazzi in general mm. when women were getting attacked for it. Yeah. yeah. Like all of the, you know, like New Idea or those magazines where you see even pictures of Kim Kardashian or whoever like the shots of them on the beach, like unposed and whatever, where have the men been when that was happening to women? And like we referenced in the Britney Spears episode, like Justin Timberlake kind Mm -hmm. of capitalising on that. So, yeah, I think this is – it's good though and it's really heartwarming and Jonah Hill is such like a funny guy and he seems really lovely. So good for him. 
All right, so next we're going to be covering the Reply All and Bon Appetit scandal that's been floating around the web the past week. You may have heard these names floating around but not really know what's happening. And to be honest, that was me too. I feel like it's very convoluted, but we're here to break it down. So in a very meta turn of events, a podcast that was reporting about a company's about about a company's toxic workplace has been called out for their own toxic workplace. Fun! Now, host PJ Vogt and senior reporter Sruthi Pinamanini are stepping away from their positions at Reply All. So we've mentioned Bon Appetit a few times before. You know, it's a Condé Nast publication and it was a very cool, trendy publication with a thriving YouTube presence. But, you know, they were under fire for racist allegations which saw many of their BIPOC staff quit. I've also recommended Reply All before. It is a podcast under the Gimlet company that vaguely discusses things about the internet. It's usually lighthearted, but also does some great investigating work. So for about the last eight months, they had been undergoing a report into Bon Appetit for a four-part series hosted by Shruti. But halfway through, at the end of the second episode that aired last week, Shruti had a revelation about how she had a part to play in Gimlet's toxic culture. And as background, she is a BIPOC woman herself. So let me get this straight because I have not, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I wasn't really following the Bon Appetit drama when it happened. I wasn't listening to Reply All. Mm. So Gimlet is the company that owns Reply All. Yes. So Reply All is a facet of them. And then Sruthi had nothing to do with Bon Appetit. She was no. just reporting on them mm-hmm. for Reply All. So now she has said she had a part to play in the company owning the podcast mm-hmm. she's on in their culture. She yeah. played a part of the toxic culture there. Mm. Okay. And this podcast company, Gimlet, was seen to be quite progressive. They have a few shows. Um, I had one that I recommended a few weeks ago that was called Resistance, which was about like black resistance, if you remember oh, yeah. that. That was a great episode. I mean, the podcast, not us. <laughs> and it came as a shock to people who listen to this podcast like it did to me. Behind the scenes, several of the Gimlet employees were trying to unionize. Mm. And obviously we didn't really hear much about it, but there was also a group of people within the company that were opposed to it. And she was one of them. Oh. Basically, I'll read out a statement that she had in the episode. So she said, Gimlet had its own version of these problems. It took eight months of reporting on Bon Appetit for me to see how wrong I was about all of that. And if I'm honest, I'm still processing the anger that I feel towards myself. I wish I'd made different choices, but I also think that ideally employees shouldn't have to make those kinds of choices at all. Choices like that end up defining our jobs when the people in charge have not done theirs because, after all, they are the ones with the real power. So the union was formed to focus on working conditions, equity, freelancers, diversity, and intellectual property. And it's very interesting because what Shruthi said at the end of the episode was that she's technically not really liable. She's like, it shouldn't be employees. It should be the people with the real power. But what the people inside Gimlet, the fellow co- like podcasters and such, were saying, actually, Reply All is the biggest podcast that they have. So, a lot, like, you know, they make the most money. So they do have a lot of power. And being a part of Reply All actually did give you leverage over the bosses in power. They were saying that some of the posts, Alex Goldman and PJ, were very close to the bosses. So they had that relationship that a lot of the other employees didn't have. Hmm. 
Hmm. It's very confusing and convoluted. It's just ironic that, like, the whole point of the reply or podcast on the Bon Appetit drama was to report on this, but then they themselves were doing it. That's the irony, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And she was reporting on it for eight months, and she didn't realize until the eight months was up. And one of the co-hosts who she actually emailed to ask him to be on the podcast, he was gobsmacked because he was the one rallying for this unionization. And he was like, when he listened to the Bon Appetit um, episodes, he was like, they sound like days right out of my life here at Gimlet. And he was just, he was like the audacity of her to ask. I just think it shows that you can't glorify any workplace and we just don't know what goes behind the scenes of even like progressive publications and stuff. And it's just quite shocking and it's like hard to swallow. Mm, So where are they going from now? Yeah, so Shruti and PJ have left the show but Gimlet have clarified that they're still within the company so we don't know what their new positions are. Mm. They both did publicly apologise on like Twitter. They're not releasing the two last episodes of the um, Test Kitchen Bon Appetit story that Reply All had because it was supposed to be four parts so they're just cutting it. So they're just making like a half series. Yeah, apparently it was because – they, had, they hadn't finished the last two as well because right. they just left straight away. I also find it interesting just to see that this is one of the biggest dramas that have come out of the podcasting space. Like podcasts have become super popular. So it's interesting to see more drama pop up and it can be a very lucrative industry, especially with like media publications falling away. Mm. Podcasts and independent media have been, I would say, becoming more popular we also saw some drama with call her daddy podcast which was super popular and the host had a falling out and Mm. that was pretty big and it was also about like a media company buying them or Basel something I don't know it was drama but there was drama with that as well so it's like the systemic issues are still there just because they've changed form from like print or like written media to audio doesn't mean that these media massive media conglomerates aren't still like exploiting people yeah i would say it's actually worse because i feel like podcasts make stars out of people or they have more people in the limelight so if you if you religiously follow like a magazine you'll see someone's name in like byline right like you'll see their name but i feel like with a podcast you have that like interpersonal relationship sometimes and people like idolize podcast stars or you know for instance we used to love the high low Dolly mm. Alderton and Pandora Sykes, and that kind of made me like them even more. And I don't think I would have had that relationship if I was just reading their work. True, and I find that interesting. There's more, perhaps ego, but there's just more power at stake mm. as well. That's what happened with Bon Appetit because they had their YouTube stars. That's what was really interesting. Mm. Well, what do you think will happen? I don't know. I don't think Bon Appetit will ever fully recover. They haven't been recovering well in the last few months, the way that they've tried to defend themselves. And with Reply All, I do think they'll get new hosts in and perhaps it might be okay because they do have a lot of front-facing BIPOC people. But, God, I don't know. We'll see. In a bit of lighter news, this week it's been hinted at that the classic 2000 show, The OC, is getting a reboot on top of the Gossip Girl one, which we are obviously excited about and we have spoken about on the podcast before. So according to celebrity gossip Instagram account Dumois, an anonymous source wrote in to say that a reboot was already in the works 
and that unlike Gossip Girl, some of the original cast are wanting to return. What do you think about this? I'm kind of excited. I think it's going to be cool. I'm quite late to the OC train. I think I only watched it last year or something like that. Yeah. And I didn't know anything that happened. I'm not going to say what it was, but at the end of the second last season, I was like, ah! <laughs> um, so I loved it. And I don't think he, so the repo couldn't be similar. Could it? Like it would be so different, I feel. Well, that's the argument here. Mm. So I'll just go through what the email said. Yeah. Hint, there are going to be spoilers in this. So the email said, The idea of a reboot was off the table for most of the past decade, mainly because Ben McKenzie, who played Ryan, and Willa Holland, Marissa's little sister Caitlin, had series regular roles in shows filming far out of town. And Josh Schwartz, the creator, didn't think it could work without Ryan in particular, especially since the show never really recovered after Marissa was killed off. But Ben's made it clear he isn't interested. It also says, There's also already a rough sketch circulating of where the show would pick up. Seth and Summer, more or less happily married in Newport and living in their old hood, with their kids could be one or two, starting out as freshmen at Harbour. Obviously, lots of plot possibilities from there. The original show didn't shy away from serious issues, and this would be a great way to delve into broader issues of classism, obviously a core aspect with Ryan, and racism. In hindsight, the show's kind of blindingly white, so likely a given that the new kids would include quite a few more people of colour. It's also helpful in this case that Adam and Rachel, who play Seth and Summer, were older than their characters and could believably play 40-ish parents with a 15-year-old-ish kid. So that was kind of the source that was sent in to do more. On top of that tea, actress Rachel Bilson, who played Summer, who is my favourite character in my opinion. No, Sandy. Oh, yeah, okay. We've spoken about this again. On I know. We, we, we love both of them. Anyway, <laughs> we won't get into that again. Early OG listeners will yeah. know. <laughs> um, Summer, or Rachel, posted a picture with Melinda Clark, who played Marissa's mom, Julie Cooper Nichols Roberts, only one week ago, saying, Flashback Friday, dot, 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 wait for it. Hashtag eternal summer, hashtag COVID safe. <gasps> the hashtag COVID safe, obviously showing it was mm-hmm. taken recently. Mm-hmm. Would you want this reboot? Because our friend and content creator, Bianca Hill, posted on her stories and was like, I would love to know who L Australia asked because this is an absolute no from me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think, why are there so many reboots happening? Why can't they just leave it? as it is Hmm. and sometimes I think shows end with an open ending and then you can just just use your Hmm. imagination just imagine what happened to Ryan um you kind of got a hint at the end of that season but yeah why are we not seeing these like zeitgeisty shows any new zeitgeist shows Hmm. that capture the time the way that Gossip Girl and the OC did. Maybe Euphoria? Yeah. That's why I think the new Gossip Girl will be good because I think they have very much thought about how it will play out in our time now, right? Mm. They've really involved the internet. They've they've involved a diverse cast. I think it'll be similar but different enough that it'll be interesting and not just like a bad remake of the old, like same old story, which I feel like the OC could potentially fall into. Exactly. I mean, another way that we could go about it is that the Wings Club also had a remake recently and I watched the whole series. So if people don't know, did you ever watch Wings Club? I thought I did, but I realized yesterday I was getting confused with Totally Spies. Oh my God, stop it. (laughs) Both incredible shows, but I totally, I totally grew up with, um, with the Wings Club. It was, it's like an animated cartoon 
with like fairies. I don't know. It, it's really great. It was really great when I was younger. And they remade that into a Netflix live action series. And to be honest, from the trailer, it looked like a cross between like Riverdale and um, Sabrina. And I was like, oh, this looks so bad. And I totally bagged it out of my story. And then I watched it all in two days. <laughs> <laughs> And for some reason, it's not groundbreaking, but I loved watching it. And it was very different to the original show, which I kind of think is better just because they're not trying to make the same thing. They just had like the same character names, basically. (laughs) But then why didn't they just create a show? Like, why did they have to use the intellectual property of the Winx Club if they're going to make it different anyway? Capitalism. (laughs) Ratings, of course. It draws people in. I would not have watched that if it didn't have that, like, brand name attached to it something familiar and we we talked Mm. about it before like nostalgia is so in right now especially in covid we just want that like something familiar right true yeah so on the topic i read a very interesting article by bonnie sternberg for inside hook they say thus far say for perhaps the last season of twin peaks there is yet to be a show that has been revived to a degree of success anywhere near on par with the original In fact, most revivals are quite bad. Even if a reboot doesn't have to grapple with how to explain away missing cast members, they rarely hang around for more than one or two extra seasons, not adding much to the show's legacy. In the worst cases, they actively harm that legacy. Will and Grace was originally considered groundbreaking when it debuted in 1998, but when the sitcom returned in 2017, it felt woefully out of step with the times like a tired relic from a bygone era where sitcoms were filmed in front of a live studio audience and full of tired stereotypes about LGBTQ characters. The thing is, we think we want to know what our favourite TV characters would be up to today, but most shows that become classic are able to do so because they've managed to capture lightning in a bottle or speak to a very specific moment in time. The fact that so many of these reboots are occurring on new streaming services also presents a problem. There were already too many streaming services, and we've reached a point where viewers are going to have to prioritise which ones they want to subscribe to based on what shows they offer. That means the days of event television and water cooler moments are all but over, and a reboot is far less likely to find its way into the zeitgeist than it would have during its original network TV run. There's something I've been thinking about a lot lately as well with WandaVision. Again, mm. we've spoken about this a few times, but the way that one episode is coming out a week, mm. I've been really enjoying that mm. because I don't feel like a show's come out, everyone's binged it in two days, and I'm behind the culture already right. just because I have decided to like watch it a week later. Everyone, I mean, I'm on like WandaVision TikTok now and like <laughs> it's on my Twitter feed, and it's so nice to like go through that like experience of watching a tv show with everyone at the exact same time and i think that's what shows like the oc and gossip girl did at the time pre-streaming services was yeah one episode was released every week that sucks you in and it's such like a moment in time so yeah i don't i don't see how the oc will work as a reboot also because harbour and where it's filmed in orange county is such a privileged place. It's probably, I mean, if anyone listens to us from the OC, let us know, but it's probably still very, very privileged and very white, whereas New York City is a massive city and there are Mm. so many different types of people. So for the Gossip Girl one, it could be easy Mm. to, you know, see a lot of diversity, whereas Harbour is like a small town. So will it have changed that much, Mm. you know? 
I really like what you mentioned with WandaVision especially because when you were reading that quote, I almost disagreed with the end. That was like the days of event television and water cooler moments are over because I'm like, hang on, we have so many conversations about TV show online and we talk to our friends about it. But you're so right in the sense it's almost like a competition to Mm. be able to stay on top of things. Whereas when you only are fed one episode a week or slowly, you know, drip, Better TV show. It's exciting and it does feel like a collaborative event that we're all going through and we're all watching it together, which is so nice. Mm. Yeah. So if yeah. they release this on a streaming service, would it be? It'd be all at once. Yeah. You'd think it would be all at once in the way that they've put the OC online, you know? Mm. Anyway, we'll have to see. I read, obviously, Ryan doesn't want to come back. And then I think Adam Brody, who is. We've oh, also we spoken about him. this before. Who is married to Leighton Meester, aka Blair? No way. I, just, I still can't <laughs> get over it. I don't think he would want to come back. He's spoken about it in interviews that he doesn't want to revisit the character. So we'll have to see. Are you team yes OC reboot or hell no? I only like the original. As in, I don't think I'd love the reboot, but I'd still watch it for entertainment. Like for me, TV shows don't have to be good me to enjoy it so I think even if they release it and it's trash I'm like well it doesn't really tarnish original so just go for it Mm. you I think I think the same way Mm. I will also watch it because um out of curiosity and like being such a big fan of the OC originally but I could also do without it Mm, exactly Jasmine what are you recommending for us this week So I read two articles this week that I really enjoyed that I wanted to share. The first one was called My Year of Grief and Cancellation. What was I trying to accomplish with my anonymous Tumblr by Leah Kaplan for the New York Times. So Leah is the founder of the anonymous Tumblr blog, Your Fave is Problematic, and they've revealed their identity after spending the first part of the 2010s cancelling celebrities and the rich and famous. If you're unfamiliar with the Tumblr, it was a blog that basically started the form of internet cancelling that we're still grappling with today. People would send in anonymous tips and kind of call people out, and then this blog would write posts about the celebrities detailing why they're problematic. The blog is actually still live, so you can go and take a look if you'd like, but the last post was five years ago. It's kind of like a shrine or a museum of like of that time period. It features posts on celebrities who were still discussing and calling out to this day, including Azalea Banks and RuPaul, as well as Stephen Colbert and more. There's bullet points with every problematic thing they'd done up to that point, as well as questions and discussions from Tumblr users on things like cultural appropriation, sexism, homophobia, etc. I read one post that said like, but why can't we wear Native American headdresses? Things like that. Like, so it's like starting that conversation five to seven years ago. I mean, obviously that would have been happening in groups for a lot longer than that, but in the terms of like the way we know it today. Mm-hmm. So this blog was huge back in the day. In the article, she says that at its peak in 2014, it had 50,000 followers, which for Tumblr was massive. Mm. They detail that they were a teenager when all of this was happening and that it began as a form of revenge toward their sexist classmates. But when she was punished for it, she moved towards celebrities and the rich and famous. So it's a super interesting read because it talks about something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, which is the influence of Tumblr on our generation. It wasn't just a blogging site. It actually like created the culture that we're living in now. And it's really not, I don't think it's referenced enough, mm. um, and given the credit for like the way we use the internet today, 
sites like Dumois, which we referenced before, and even Celebrity Spellcheck, that kind of discourse came from Tumblr. Yeah, it was a huge platform and I think we're still grappling with like the effects and the consequences of it as mm. well as like how we've grown from it. So it was really interesting to hear this woman who was a teenager when they created this like huge platform. They talk about how their sister's death actually changed their perception of the site Mm. and now that they're older they understand nuance more and just what that site created so just read a little bit out of it they say i posted photos of lady gaga in v magazine with her skin bronze to an unnatural brown i pulled out troubling quotes from an essay lena dunham had written about a trip to japan i noted taylor swift's since changed homophobic lyric in picture to burn my most popular posts tended to be about women which makes sense because the celebrity press tends to be more critical of them In the years since, I've looked back on my blog with shame and regret about my pettiness, my motivating rage, my hard and fast assumptions that people were either good or bad. Who was I to lump together known misogynists with people who got tattoos in languages they didn't speak? I just wanted to see someone face consequences. No one who'd hurt me ever had. So you can read that on the New York Times. Um, It's not a very long read. Sometimes the New York Times, their pieces are like thousands and thousands of words, but this is just a very quick uh, reveal of their identity and a bit of background. And I think it's interesting that just now in 2021, we are hearing from these people who were so big on Mm. Tumblr back in the day. Wow, that is so interesting. Oh my God. Okay, so I want to first start off with that quote that you just read out. Who was I to lump together no misogynists with people who got tattoos in languages they didn't speak? And I think that's so true. And I think people know this, like the big problem with cancel culture that a lot of people have is that there's no different levels of cancelling, I guess. So if someone's made, let's say, a harmful comment maybe 10 years ago and someone's like raped somebody, sometimes they're dealt the same hands and people treat them the same and there's not kind of that... Nuance. Nuance, yeah. I'm mm. trying to think of another word because <laughs> I'm like, I always say that. Um, and I think that is so true. I think sometimes we just want to seem like we're doing the right thing and call people out without thinking about it or, yeah, so I found that's good. But it also proves that cancelling, like, isn't working. Like, the fact yeah, that Azalea Banks is on there and just two weeks ago she was in the press for, like, boiling up her dead cat. Mm-hmm. We're still saying, like, she should be cancelled or, like, what is she doing kind of thing and like we've been having this conversation for seven years but she still has that influence and like the money and the fame that nothing's happened to her it sounds like we keep these people around because it's fun to talk about Mm. them it's entertainment now it's like when we gossip about people from high school and we know it's boring and we shouldn't be doing it but we do it anyway Mm. that sort of thing true yeah Mm, interesting i have another article (laughs) (laughs) this one is a bit lighter It is Dolly Alderton's latest column, Dear Dolly, for the Sunday Times style. So I found this through my friend Jasmine, who is a creator and founder of What the Fashion Podcast. Um, She recommended this on her Instagram story this week, and it's by one of our favorite authors and, of course, co-host of the Hilo, Dolly Alderton. So every week for the UK Sunday Times, Dolly answers questions sent in that are kind of like an Agony Aunt style column. In this week's, she's asked, I am terrified. I am wasting my youth. I have recently turned 24 and I've never been more aware of the slipping sand. How do I stop obsessing about my engine of youth puttering to a stop? So Dolly has the most beautiful answer that made me feel really at peace because even though I know that one, 
I'm young. I'm also 24, nearly 25. And that too, it's a privilege to get older because it's better than the alternative. Living in a society that places so much value on youth, Mm. succeeding at a young age, what you look like as a woman, Mm. I still do feel the effects of it like anyone else, even if I'm actively trying to not. Um, So I will read a little bit out now. I unsurprisingly choose to see our shared anxiety as a positive thing. I think it shows that we are really happy to be alive, that we don't want the experience to end, that we want to make the most of it. It is existential panic and enthusiasm combined. By wanting to capitalize on our time, energy, and opportunities, we waste a lot of our lives thinking about how best to do it and preempting when it will all be over. I don't know if you're male or female. I think you're probably female because while youth obsession is a pressure across all genders, it is particularly felt by women. Keep this in mind every time you feel a painful pang that you're not going to be 24 forever. Are you really sad about that? Or is your ravaged mind responding to the societal messaging you've absorbed since you were a little girl? Messaging that tells you you're only of value while you're fuckable or fertile. Tell those thoughts to sod off. Tell them they're not yours. You never came up with those ideas. They were put there without your permission. Every day can be the morning of your life. A sense of excitement and awe is yours to cultivate and utilize, and it doesn't have to be measured with clocks and calendars. As long as you wake up, there is an opportunity to fill your day with experience. The engine that you speak of isn't youth, it's gratitude. If you're willing, time will never rob you of that. Oh my God. She's the most amazing writer, but that's the way I try to see things is that I'm grateful to be getting older because if you're not getting older, what are you? Um, Dead. (laughs) So... Yeah, it's like gratitude, but also, yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was like a very beautiful Mm. column. So I'd recommend getting a subscription to them if you can, because we should be supporting journalism. If you can't, there's a free trial on the Sunday Times. And if you really want, I shouldn't be doing this, but I do have like a screenshot of it. So just DM us and I will send you a copy of it if you're interested. My God, you're really handing out all the links. First for Britney Spears, Duffo, and then <laughs> But support journalism, please. <laughs> Give us jobs. That was honestly so beautiful. I never thought about that before, that like enthusiasm and thirst for life, you know. Mm. Oh, what a beautiful re- like way to reframe it because I found myself stuck in that thought even the other day and I hated myself for thinking that because we know, again, I think we have a lot of cognitive dissonance of like what we – like theoretically believe, you know, that we shouldn't value youth that much and we shouldn't be feeling all these pressures, but then you also still do feel Mm. it and you still do think these things. So it's like trying to marry those two things up. So that's a very nice way of putting it. So thanks, Dolly. (laughs) (laughs) Dolly Doctor, she's honestly the Dolly Doctor. (laughs) What do you recommend this week, Max? Okay, this is like a very small recommendation because I have no idea why. <laughs> You've been busy with your birthday. I've been busy with my birthday. Give me a break. Um, so I've recently started listening to a new podcast called Goes Without Saying, and it is so fun and so great. It is hosted by two UK gals, Sefi and Wing, and the podcast is very smart, funny, and thought-provoking. It doesn't doesn't really have a genre. I would say it's kind of like Bobo and Flex. So they discuss intersexual feminism, sex, body image, productivity, mental health, all the fun stuff. Similar to us, just without the news focus like at all, they don't discuss current affairs. I just think they're both very smart and they have great perspectives on issues. Um, I also like I find myself nodding along a lot or being like, oh, I hadn't thought about it that way. Um, and they're just very 
I don't know, I look up to them. They're very similar to us, I would say, but I'm like, they're doing really well. <laughs> They've also got a really great Instagram. Um, I think it's at Sefi and Wing, and you should check that out as well. I just feel like our listeners will also like it. Um, yeah, I like their Instagram. Yeah. I haven't actually listened to their podcast, but I follow them. They're oh, cool. Yeah. They're, they're really cool. I like supporting similar, you know, young females in the media space. So that's pretty nice to see other people killing it across the world. That's all. And that's all. Well, we got through a lot today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hopefully we didn't speak too fast. Um, at Maggie. <laughs> at at Mag. I know. But yes, as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, if you're in Melbourne, please check us out at the Melbourne Fashion Festival. We'll have details over on our Instagram as well. Um, bring some friends along or come by yourself. It'll be really fun and we're really, we're really excited about it. So this was our first test run of recording in person together and I think it went well. Hopefully. <laughs> Other than that, we will speak to you next week. Bye. Bye-bye.